Good, good morning, good evening, and everybody out there in podcast land, land to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza. And I am David. David. And i really excited to uh, speak with her. With her, She is a fellow Jerseyite. And the other thing is she is the author of Breaking Into My Life, up with a bipolar polar parent and my claim myself. Uh, those that have listened to previous podcasts know that that once it'll be three years, three years that I actually lost hers to uh, bipolar uh, disease, that disease that she was dealing with. Really interested to kind of to kind of dive right in and how how uh, Michelle was able to reclaim herself in dealing with the dealing with the burnt. Without further ado, I do I'd like to welcome Michelle to the podcast. Thanks for thanks for having. Yeah, thanks Absolutely. for being here. Thanks for being here, Michelle. Michelle. And so yeah. Uh, a happy topic that a lot of that a lot of would uh, talk about, but weak weak for intrinsic motivation because there's always there's always something or uh, contrast that you may go through in your life that you find some inner motive inner motive get you to where you are today today. And I'm thinking uh, just dealing with your mom that it was the impetus for writing the book. I like for you, I like for you to, about before getting before getting into your book, what was it like growing up with your mom and and, and did it have? Did it have a sudden, or it was something that something that you always? Yeah, so King, and thanks for having me. It, um, I'm actually actually really honored to be here and share this with your um, your community. So my mom, um, she pretty much demonstrated bipolar um, symptoms since I was probably like four, four or five. So fuzzy recollection, recollection of what life was like before, um, which was pretty good and pretty awesome and stable and then she had her first episode episode when I was really little like I said and and that really set the tone for the rest of my, of my youth because she was she was in and out of hospitals medicated her disorder you demonstrate those extreme highs and lows basically did that consistently consistent just you know, as a child, just hung on for the ride. Um, you know, sometimes it was Disney because everything was great, and then other, and then other was really, really sad and really depressing. And, um, and um, other times it was abuse. It was pretty much a roller, a roller uh, from my whole childhood. And were your your parents married growing up? And yeah. What was it like? What was it like? Yeah. They were married, and my father worked. My mother didn't didn't work, so he had um, you know a sense of a sensibility and obligation that he needed to be at his job every day. And um, times when she was just she was just too fragile to be left, yet not to the point of needing hospital hospital. And so you know you know I would turn and have and have to play that role of a child and stay home with her. Now, are you an only child or child, or did you have to share abilities with siblings? Cousins that lived with me for a very brief time, uh, you know, you know, uh, they they pretty much left the left as a teenager. So the burden then really fell on my shoulders because I because I with age you get ability in the home and home and on at that point they they had left and so um, um, I shouldered a lot as I got older more so so it was just needed. Yeah, I'm also thinking, thinking, uh, you know, when worrying about ourselves as a child, right? Uh, you, you do want that stability. So, what, what, publicly, did she, did she have a, a public thing when you were home? It was different, uh, until uh, like school events, or if you did any extracurricular activities, activities. 
Yeah, she, um, um, so I kept it a secret. She pretty much uh, isolated herself um, in the house. She had a few friends, few friends um, house, but not too many. Uh, so I tried really hard to not let anyone know. It was a secret that I, I kept to myself because of the embarrassment and the shame. I, think I really just didn't want people judging me, judging me and like the crazy mother. So I, I kept it, you know, as a secret. As a secret. Uh, let's. Uh, let's. I want to focus on some of the things. So, what was it like? Where? Like where? I'm sure you were always waiting for. for or I, I don't know, but um, there were some. There were some times. What, could you exhibit an example of that? Where, where uh, maybe in the back line you always thought, "I'm just waiting for the shoe for the shoe." Oh yeah, absolutely. Like she would have her manic moments where where she was just like world, like literally on totally on the poster, like life is great. Everything that I did did was wonderful. Loved me. I felt genuinely um, to be around her. And then it's like it's like my mind, like you said, I was like, oh well, this is so going to be short lived. Like, what? When is it going to be that she that she crashes? It was inevitable. Like she couldn't have mania for so long. I knew it was going to happen. Going to happen. She was going to crash, and she would. So it it was just kind of grabbing on to those those moments moments where she was um, happy now I wouldn't say stay say stay because it was mania um, but it was so much better than the than the crying and the constants and the depression Michelle let me ask terms of mania how long how long did they last for was minutes hours days so it depends right some rate some you know, she, she's she, she's no longer with us. But her, if you you know do some research, some research, the National Association for Mental Illness, you could probably get more 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 specifics of the average. But like, but like for my mother, to she would have mania, mania like it would cause her not to sleep. So she would she would be in mania mania for like forty, and she, but she was but she wasn't sleeping, lit, and she was so wound up up, and then she, um, so the mania never lasted. Like really long, you know. Hang on to that. And so you you said earlier earlier from your earliest recollections, you thought your mom was starting starting to have problems before. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what exactly triggered it. Uh, I think you know if you do research, do research. They say that there's this event that could cause it to trigger. I yeah. think. Yeah. think you know, I reflect the age I was was when my two came to live with me and me, and I'm not making an mother by any stretch of the imagination. I could imagine having a family of five or four to look after may have caused stress, that, and stress stress is is also associated with um, you know bipolar and and having a, a breakdown breakdown. Yeah. So I'm just curious, did you ever? And when you got old, I don't know. I know that your your parents have you know have passed passed your parents, and I don't know how old you were when your father passed. But did you ever have any have any conversations with your because you, if your earliest memories were were like at full, I'm just curious. Just curious, you know your father your father ever ever about this this hidden anything. You know, even before you were born, or 
It's funny that you asked that question. So I never asked my dad that question, but I asked my godmother, godmother that question, and she close to, to my parents. And so I asked her that. Asked her that. So funny that you you asked that question. Asked that question because my research from search for my book, it said traumatic life event that could trigger trigger one to to have have their first episode. We had a long conversation, and we think that there's some type of trauma that had happened that had happened to her long before she married my father. Her in some weird way, all those years later, Peter. So it's and we 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 don't know, um, but it's something, you know. And so, uh, what what about uh, does she have siblings, siblings, brothers and sisters? You know about just in general uh, about her life growing up. I know she had a rough life. Life. I know that she had lost her father. Father young. She had a brother who was was um, he kind of left the 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 family and then like you he would like float back in now and then and like my, like my mother loved it because she much so it was like a dysfunction there. Her mother her mother she was very very close to, close to and it really devastated her when she lost she lost so much that she couldn't even go to her funeral like. She spoke to this woman every every day. I remember she'd be on the phone for hours with her mom. Her mom, and when she lost her, it was traumatic, and it also contributed to her having another having another episode. So she she didn't have the easiest life, and for many many years, many years, there was a lot of anger and resentment, resentment, and um, I, I I put a lot of blame on her. But but then when I stopped to say, you know, our loved ones do the best they can based on what they've experienced. Then, then I was like uh, a little bit more compassionate and passionate, and recognized that she came able with her own stuff. Yeah, that's a really good, really good point. It makes me think of of when my sister. I went to a lot of community, community, and in those in those groups, not to make a decision, but but uh, takeaway was a lot of a lot of that was were going were going through any type of or issues or episodes, uh, their trigger was that relationship or relationship with their father. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Total sense, total sense. My mom secretly was married and divorced very quickly before she met my father. I spoke of that first relationship. And, you know, I, I don't know. You know, it, it could have played into her, her, her mental illness. Um, one thing also, it's kind of what, kind of you know, something happens, happens. One thing that I, uh, what you focus on expands, expands. You focus on the positive or it's partly sunny versus partly cloudy, then that would be your outlook. And after my sister transitioned three years and three years ago, uh, seeing in the news, uh, it just became part of my, you know, of people uh, uh, to take their own uh, lives. And so, so, uh, last week, you had uh, Christoph St. John, who was a uh, young and wrestling and wrestler. He had uh, he had uh, he was dealing with uh, disorder and depression, and he he had taken his life, taken his life. But his son, who son who was 14, had taken a couple of years prior. But when that happened, I was just like, wow! How how often does, is it uh, is it hereditary? Is it more like you said, environmental environmental trigger that brings it out? Yeah, you know, I it I it's it's interesting. I have had have had the privilege all over for my book, and you know, I had you know I had an audience one talking to them that I didn't realize were largely physicians and in the neuroscience space, 
And I remember like, like almost realizing I was doing it, but saying, Hey, Hey, that was my mom, but guess what? I'm adopted. So I'm good. And they quickly nurture versus nature, right? Right. Grew up in a very depressed household and it impacted me. And I'm quite sure, you know, it had, it would, it would, you know, if I, if a mother's natural child, it probably, it probably would have affected me differently. But I also, also now can see, even though, though I wasn't, I grew up base, and it, it, it does, it does affect me. I mean, I deal with seasonal depression every winter, winter. So, you know, you can't, you can't say, you know, I'm adopted, I'm adopted, I'm, I'm, I'm free, I'm, because it's all in our, our environment, you know. Yeah. So I, I read, I read one of the excerpts from your. We're talking about, about. Were you really looking, really looking forward to going and seeing some of your friends? Some of the things that you were that you were looking forward to, not paying. Then your father, your father asked you to stay home, and you ended up staying home, staying home. Did you miss them? Um, when you, were... I did, I did, I did. I mean, it, I would. It, it was easy to mask back then, right? Like social media and like. Teachers and parents weren't nearly as connected as as they are nowadays. Where like if your kid's out, there's like this communication immediately. All I had to do was show, to do was show up with a note. So out, it was fine. It was fine to be out for two weeks. Had the flu, and and, and the teachers helped me get caught up again. But yeah. then frequently, frequently because my dad could work. If if he was out of work, then we didn't have an income. So. He he jeopardized his job for my mother. For my mother, so I was supposed to be home with her because she was too fragile. Fragile. Yeah, yeah. So how do you think? I mean, I, I mean, obviously you wrote a book and we're getting like your experience, experience, that, and maybe you didn't think of it at the time because you're, you know, you're you're a, a kid, you're grown, but maybe in hindsight you look at you look. How was it that all this? affect your father and what and what you know he he would write a book what do you think he would be saying in it my father the most loyal and and uh caring he wasn't he wasn't affection affection wasn't um super um like 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 he didn't like rate his love but he was the most loving and responsible man and then and the real my mom put mom put him through a lot of emotional imbalance balance I mean, I witnessed some of it, what he endured, endured. He, he just was very, 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 and uh, when she passed away, he honored her and, um, and then had this beautiful opportunity to have a new chapter in his life with a wonderful woman that he married. And, and um, you know, he would say that he has any regrets for caring and loving my mom because he did above all. Um, but it wasn't not easy for caregivers of some of some illness at all. It can be very punishing, and um, and he exper- he experienced it, but yet he. Mm. So it was like his like his side of the family. I don't know if he had like you know siblings, sibling brothers, sisters, parents were were they were they aware of what was going? On? Absolutely, absolutely. They were they were a support system for me because at that because at that point my mother, her mother, her brother had had passed away. So my father's family was the family that was there. Was there when mom hospital? My grandmother's grandmother stepped in and watched care of me, looked at me, looked after me, made sure I was cool. My aunt aunt was a nurse, so she stood what was sort of going on with my mom. My mom served as a very important um, support mechanism for, mechanism for my dad and, and for us. Like she would ask me, "How are you doing?" Um, if it wasn't for, if it wasn't for my grandmother, uh, we uh, we we 
wouldn't know they did as well as we did. And so you, you had mentioned earlier that you, for the most for the most part, you kept it a secret, and you never were able to or wanted to ever bring like friends over to your house. House. Yeah, there's there's a chapter in the book where I talk where I talk having a girlfriend over because I thought my mother was stable enough. Enough. Uh, poor Robin in high school came over came over and like witnessed Mike having this like mania episode episode certified, and I was like, never again will I bring my friends over. She's not, not stable enough. Embarrassing. Um, yeah. So yeah, I just didn't after that. The reason I ask is when I was in high school, I had, and he lived with his father, and never really knew much about his mom. Um, they, we, I was with him, was with him, and we had to go. He had to stop by his mom's house. I found out years later, but and it, it's kind of a similar experience where, it, where in case his mother was an alcoholic, and so he just didn't want his friends being around that because because. He just knew what what state she was gonna be gonna be, and you you hear that with with children who have alcoholic alcoholic parents. It's like you know, I have no idea idea what I'm walking into. Yeah. Are they gonna be angry or whatever? And he was and he was so embarrassed by it. Never said anything about his mom and just mom and just get away because he just didn't you know from some of the shame and whatnot. Not, exactly. That's really what I did too, and I didn't even I didn't even know I was dealing with it. And it wasn't until probably probably like junior high on my 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 youth group in my church, and it was like ah, I found found a safe space to share with them. I found myself telling them my story. I found myself instantly surrounded by supportive, caring kids because in, because in general, general in school they are not they are not supportive. They can be downright cruel. Found my youth group. It was like it was like amen. Like people who. Who will support me, and they get what I'm dealing with. With yeah. What was the difference when you were dealing with dealing with group? Um, I would I would understand an overall overall support, but it's it's kind of like, well, you really know what I'm going I'm going with. The question is, did you also also? I mean, as an adult teenager, you had limited. Uh, resources just to get around, but as an adult, did you find, find groups that you could actually share experiences with, uh, just for your overall well-being? You, you know, um, when I first learned about uh, mom's formal diagnosis, and like you know, there is this understanding out standing out there that caregivers have it have a difficult time and their time and they're with each other and support each other. I I found a small group in my community community that I that I remember, but I didn't really click with them, so I didn't really stick around them around them too much. Therapist um, was huge as as a young adult. You know, she was the one who who would really talk to about how like my mom she was so good at manipulating manipulating me and like if I I'm with her. Instead of being, instead of being like I drove because she lived down the Jersey Shore, instead of being grateful that I drove, that I drove to the Jersey Shore day with her and I took her out, took her out and took her for a manicure and like really took care of her, she would she would cry and make guilty because I wasn't spending more time with her. So my therapist would just be like, just be like, well, for your own well-being, being as as someone other, you have to distance yourself and take care of yourself. And I think I think. For you know, learning being about the importance of caring for myself as as her, um, even though I wasn't living with her anymore, uh, that that was invaluable for me um, because I I learned to step away, step away, and 
and nurture myself instead of being, you know, at, at her mercy of all of her emotions, all of her wants and needs. That's a really good point. Um, the other thing for, thing for my personal story, uh, after that happened with my sister, it had given me a heightened awareness with, like, just a dating pool. And so with, I would say something, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, my goodness, here for what I'm going to experience down the line. And with, with today, I would since you work, in, uh, work with, uh, uh, with um, we watch a lot of commercials, and there's a lot of side effects with effects with things we take and what have. Are you, some, you sometimes with people you uh, highly of how their, their behavior and saying, hey, saying, hey, this could be a trigger of mine, or is it just uh, you know the difference? You know, it's you know, it's interesting. I mean, I have this ability to read the read the room or read people, um, just because that was what I had to do. I do as a child. I had to like thing with the alcoholic parent. Like when I walked in the house, I had to like observe. Okay, observe, okay, happy today? Are we sad? Sad today? Are we are we really in a bad mood? Mood? So like I I have this. I feel like I have this like sight sight heightened sense around other people's moods moods. Um, but I don't necessarily like look for, look for, you know, a, you know, are they, are they in saying something? Is that a trigger? Like, I just kind of, kind of try to listen from my space and see if there's anything there for me to do in terms of support, of support. The other side of that is, um, with social media, social media, it makes me think of, 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 uh, when I went to school or when I went to college, I, I had no idea who my roommate was going to be, and it turned out to be turned out to be the best thing. Like two polar opposites together together much more about myself, and versus like cousins and stuff that are going to college now, you can see who, their pro, their profile, media uh, and such, and you make the decision and to actually even live with that live with that person. Uh, one thing with bipolar disorder, bipolar disorder, about suffering and silence. Do you feel that there may be the potential, the potential where they may even treat even further until because they don't want to be have that extra exposure? Yeah, I think we have so much to do. Any progress since my mom was alive, but I, honestly, I think we have much to do or do around um, an environment where people feel people feel talking openly about their out there or about what they're dealing with. Just like they would any any other organ that was in need of in need of support. So I do. I think you know. There's shame. There's some, there's fear. There's embarrassment um, because because population might be ignorant or might relate to mental health as like as like you know shooting or some or something horrific instead of it being you know you know. If you look at the statistics, statistics one in four have a mental illness in some point. Some point because you know what, life shows up. Events it happen in our lives. They take us out a few minutes because 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 it can hurt. So I just think just think have such a good good opportunity and a responsibility, especially for our youth, for you to really create a different kind of conversation conversation around. Brain health, and that's what it is. It's an organ, organ and support, just like a kidney, just like a heart. And you know, then, you know, then there will be less shame, less fear, and there'll be like a like a conversation about it. Like, like you know, you have a love of a loved one that is diagnosed with. You know, they're on the phone with like their cousin who is in who is like, okay, what are you doing? What drugs are you taking? And and what does your doctor say? And as you say, and is your doctor good? I do that, and I feel like we we re, we really do ourselves a disservice by not. 
Yeah, I would I, uh, add to that, Michelle. I would I would say our generation is better than the generation the generation generations before. They or they didn't see to themselves and they didn't talk. Our, our generation, if it's not the immediate family, you do have social media media where you can reach out to certain. Which are are you seeing a balance or or education today? Yeah, you know, I um, I have to take I have to take an opportunity to share. I feel is a wonderful wonderful of creating a safe space for peer to peer conversations when people with a mental illness and they just don't feel comfortable comfortable with their family or their loved ones. My uh, very dear friend, dear friend uh, created a on- online that's free. Uh, it's at number and and then the word percent.org. And what it is, what it is, space where you can anonymously log in, create a profile, profile, and you can to someone who's been diagnosed with the same thing you've been diagnosed with, and you talk to, talk to, like, like, all right, like, let's get real. What are you dealing with, and how did, and how did you? I'm, I'm here. Please tell me it gets better. And what did you do to get where you are to be stable, stable? So can't say enough about online community, online community that because we all have phones in our pockets every day, right? So. <laughs> It's a good reason, and I think think with technology leaning into that and and having having less uh, silence and isolation. Yeah, I agree, and, and thanks for sharing that. Eighteen percent dot org org. Also, like to throw out there uh, there a replica. Are you a replica app? No, no. So it's replica uh, with the K, and so it, it's a. Uh, it was, we we had a, a guest recently, recently a software engineer. So we were just talking about everything that goes into creating creating this artificial. And so anyway, with this, it's a free app, free app. So it's kind of like your uh, confidant. You can kind of talk to it. And in 2019, it's just oh my goodness, goodness. So much, it's, if you can imagine Dragon naturally speaking, whether that come out that come out in the early 2000s, and, and now text is phenomenal. It's kind of seamless. And so replica is kind of the same way, way, and it kind of checks in what you're doing, type of thing. And and thing behind it, because I I like to break things, uh, I, that I found behind I found behind it is if you get dark, they automatically connect to like a uh, hot hot for mental health. That's that's and great. So so you know you start out with hey you know you know let's just my confidant and we, I can share things, but it's also in the back end. Um, a resource, uh, which is, I guess, kind of scary too, because too, because an element. But you have AI that's kind of like you're you're giving off giving off symptoms that we need to alert, alert some professional. Mm. That's, that's important, right? Especially especially if you um, the same patterns over and over and over, I could pick up on it. It's pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it is the pattern. Uh, the the other the human element human element say is. I believe it was last year. Facebook had to to go into their algorithm and kind of do some do something similar because you had people with people with mental disorders, and, and they were live to take their lives. And so you're kind of like, well, well, how does that happen? And, and where do you and where do you get to that space where that can happen? And so if someone if someone reading these patterns, as you say, I think there's a button or something on Facebook where they can they can. Um, so they can reach out to them and get some professional help as well. As well, that's 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 yeah. great. Mm. Mm. Michelle, um, I wanted to ask, and this is just me looking from the outside, <clears throat> outside, but but it's you know talk about this. It's like people with mental Ill, mental illness, all the 
you know, was associated with it and some of the mental dysfunction. <laughs> or there seems to be maybe there's moments, uh, uh, and I, you know, obviously I didn't know your mom, but I imagine she was probably an intelligent woman. It seemed like there were probably probably of uh, of um, genius that that might be exhibited. It seems like with people that that are, are you know, maybe could be highly creative people. Did you ever? Hear? Yeah, it's so true. I mean, I, I I have a friend now who's bipolar, and like one of the, one of the human beings I think I've ever met, I've ever met, and was alive. Like she did, like she didn't have school smart, didn't finish high school, high school. But the one thing that she's very good at is she she would like be able to make any kind of craft on the planet. So like we so like we saw she'd see a finished item and she'd go home and replicate that with with ease went away by that like she just didn't she didn't need instruction she would just like replicate it and it would be like that be like that so absolutely absolutely she was incredibly and, and very talented um in, um in illness wow yeah that completely completely makes sense i don't know <laughs> why but for me it just it seems like you just you've seen people and people that are like that but in some in some instances they can just be completely you know you know genius and and the next, uh, you know, struggling with struggling with with their, with their mental illness, mental illness. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think the other side of that is uh, I kind of stick, stick my toe in from kind of comedic realm, and so there's always there's always issues with uh, comedians that uh, on the surface surface they're brilliant. Then you may hear, I mean, I mean, probably brilliant because it's it's their form of therapy they're kind of getting that adding that out and that kind of saves but if someone would approach them about them about you you should seek help or or this is the medicine you need to take need to take then you also hear the argument that they lost their lost their and it's so all, yeah it, it compromises something huge in them i mean I, god that makes sense i mean you think about you think about williams who like could have you laughing your butt off it's a no pain he was in and and I mean that's so scary. You're gonna want me to take a take a drug and like I lose that like that like that. That's my claim to fame. So I get it. That's terrifying. Terrifying. I would think. Did you have to go through any, go through any of that at all? If no, when was your mother your mother officially diagnosed? And was there a battle to one accept accept it and then two hide the pills that she was claiming to take and to take. You know, it's it's a known problem, unfortunately, with people people who and my mother like they would give her a her a drink. She was diagnosed when I was fairly young, so she always knew because because I was very familiar with five six year old six year old. Like I knew my mother manic depressed manic de- manic depressed. Like I knew it. It was just something just something that rolled off my tongue. Did she's got manic got manic depression? I'm like whatever. So she would be given a prescription a prescription of a drug, and she would take it. Uh, she she wasn't ever like I'm not going to take it, and side effects started to get really uh, like upsetting for her, like dry mouth or um, forgetfulness. There would be there would be something to her that she'd be like, I just don't feel like myself, and actually I feel I feel perfectly fine. Not recognizing recognizing the drugs themselves, her feel fine, and and herself off, um, which would to relapse even harder and ultimately be hospitalized. You know, nowadays treatment treatment is so much, and I don't just say that because I work because I work company. Um, full disclosure here, I say it because compliance compliance has always been a huge with people dealing with a mental illness. Mental illness, and like nowadays they have shots. 
Um, they're going to come out with um, a nasal spray. So there's so many different weight. weight. Uh, if you take a shot for 30 days, you don't have to worry about the volatility of taking a pill at the same time every day. It's all, it's all system. So there are advances that are helping to, helping to combat that lack of compliance. Mm-hmm. So besides having to go to the hospital or if you if have to admit you're just having to go see a doctor, any reason was your was your did your mom pretty much there was like really no outing events or anything or anything or anything like that? Oh no, my mom. Um, my mom stayed. Mom stayed home. She worked at home. Care of the house. That was her. Um, that was her. You know, house mom responsibility. Responsibility. Um, but no, she. But no, she hung on every vacation that we had scheduled. My father, father, he made sure that we would have these like escapes to St. Thomas in the Caribbean. The Caribbean, for example, she would get so excited. Excited is like that would contribute to her being very stable because because she knew what was it really served her. Uh, afterward, not so much. She would go into her depression. Depression. Um, but she, but she really loved trips, and so did we, because we got to we got to um, a fun and happy, relaxed, you know, version of mom. Trips like for for whatever for whatever. I mean, not for whatever reason, but for that d- duration, she was fine. Fine. Like you went to St. Caribbean for a week for that whole week. Week fine for the whole trip. Yeah, exactly. Until it was like honestly, honestly, until it was like the light. And then you and then you could see her start sad and really depressed, pressing to leave. Um, mm. would start her unwrap, you know, once we got home. Yeah, yeah. Interest, interesting. Uh, being in your professional position, since you made that, made that. Where do you see? And I didn't know about Bray, so that that's interesting. And, and what, uh, what levels are you seeing personalized care? Care, uh, because I mean I don't guess, but I know, but I know you can't generalize for anyone. Are you seeing that we're we're really really closer in getting care, not just for mental health, but at, but at all um, prevention think, and treatment? Yeah, yeah. Honestly, that that be the wave of the future because what works for you works for you work for me. So that makes the most sense. That like that's where we we're gonna evolve evolve to in terms of patient care. The thing that gets me that gets me is we have so many people um, where I work and even even like just in the in- connected to different groups and different um, you know leaders in mental health, mental health. So many people who are, are deeply passionate about brain health and, and with trying to find better ways to treat people because you have a population not willing to reach out because of the fear, fear and or the uncertainty of treatment. But if they just gave it a try, if they just reached, just reached out and like raised their hand and said, I need help and got and got, the quality of their lives would, would change. And, you know, it may be the perfect dose at first, but I will tell you like the quality of their lives will, will change. It's just getting over that hurdle to reach out and say, hey, I, hey, I think I can do this alone. Like, just, like what can I do to help myself? Because everybody, in, and I think you would agree, deserves to, have, deserves to have life. And fundamentally, if you don't have joy, um, it's really hard, really hard to, to just get excited. I heartily agree. And here in Atlanta, I believe it was national news, news but there was a link, I think she was in the Carol, the Carol, and she had two dogs, and she went into cardiac arrest, and her house was, but somehow the dogs got out, out 
to next door and brought the neighbors over and the ambulance, ambulance came and she's living. So on your website, you have this wonderful photo with the, with the dogs. And I didn't know that any influence that, that our canine friends have on overall well-being. Yeah, I actually, you know, I, I've had dogs all my life, so I'm a huge advocate. They, they like, they make me smile, and smile when I'm having the worst day. So I know, like, like therapy. I know people who have pet therapy dogs. I mean, there's a reason there there are therapy dogs, and I think about it. Um, but but you're amazing, and I think anyone who it's very easy to easy to to focus on what you're dealing with and what your brain is saying. Brain is saying like if you have a dog, your dog is going to force you to take a walk. If you take a walk, you're going to you're going to get fresh air. You're going to just because you're moving your body. So many reasons I believe that we should be connected in some way, some way to to our four legged friends. Yeah, like uh, Joe Rogan, and you know he has a lot of comedy comedy bits on that, and he was talking about I think it was Joe. No, it wasn't Joe. It was Bill Burr. But they're both. But they're both. Doesn't matter. So, but anyway, uh, he was talk. Bill was talking about how Hotwaller, and it was mirroring everything he did. He was like, "Why is my dog? My dog so hyper?" And then he when he went to a professional that he that he was getting the dog hyper. I mean, isn't the dog exhibiting what its what its master is exhibiting? Do you think that could be a trigger of idea of idea? No, this person's really down all the time. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they do reflect sad or something. Like my dog, does. my dog. Does. If I'm like feeling a little bit down or blue, like, or or even if I'm happy or excited, like, I, I, if I had a tail, Megan like hers. So yeah, yeah, I could see that they do. They do reflect us, and they want to, uh, you know, uh, you know, be there with us. But so for sure. And I'm kind of scared because of the Me Too environment. I, I would look around at down at to see if they were twitching behind their tails were wagging, but I would get in trouble today. Trouble today. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> so I don't think I should do that. Say that. that. <laughs> so um, you're looking at doing a doing a her on the uh, TED stage. Uh, have you had any experience yet? And what's it been like? Yeah, I I I was with trying to help kids understand that the brain is nothing more than just an organ, right? So if we if we could reach our youth and shift shift even just shape how they how they relate to mental health and mental well being well being, I think we um, we do our future generation generation great service. So for me, I've had this opportunity. We have a private uh, TEDx platform at Johnson and Johnson, and I've had the I've had the being on that stage. Um, that was actually the catalyst for saying, you know what, I'm going to write this book. I think what I have to say, I have to say is important and can help people because it was confirmed after I stood there and told my story and people came up to me afterward. So I would love to use my story as this vehicle to, to reach people and have them understand mental health in a mental health way, and, and not in a clinical way, but in a less threatening way, in a way, in a way where the story and maybe you're connected to connected today and you can find a way to help your loved one or yourself if you're a caregiver. And then together we just elevate elevate conversation about mental health so it's less of a thing. Um, that's really where my heart is and really what I'm, I'm going for. Love it. And I do want to stay – sorry about that, David. Uh, uh, I do want to stay with versus less, less threatening aspect uh, because what a uh, uh, teacher – I know, I know that uh, with some children that, that put them on 
AD, you know, Ritalin or something because they're acting out, acting out, and then out that this person has been on has been on since their whole life. Uh, are they are they predetermining determining these for children? What's a way to be less be less where they don't feel that they will be on prescriptions their whole life? Life. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, that whole thing is scary for me, and I don't want to go down that down that because I think every child is different, and every every di- diagnosis and treat of a drug is should be unique to unique. I guess you know um, a lifetime of of drugs. I think I think we have this stigma that you know I, you know a young girl that I mentor who I just adore, and she's like, I don't I don't want to be on drugs the rest. I'm like, well, sweetie, you have five diagnoses of mental health concerns. The goal shouldn't be to get off the get off the drugs. The goal should be happy, joyful, fulfilling life. And if you need them to stabilize your brain, because you, your brain your brain needs support, be so focused on I'm going to get off the drugs and drugs and drugs. That's like, you know, in my opinion, my opinion, I'm more concerned about her having a fulfilling, happy life. So I think I think. You know, it depends. I mean, there's so many components nowadays. Nowadays, like you look at diet and exercise, like like eating, and how is that contributing to your stress? Like, there's so many other, so many other ways that we can health as well, and not you know, you know, like you know, pills are the only way. But it also requires ownership. Hey, okay, I've been diagnosed with this. What can I do in addition to that that can that can reduce my overall well-being? Being so, I think. Um, I think I think it's a complicated to just flat out say, but I, I but I, I do, um, you know, there has to be some level of ownership in in your in your in your as an individual. Yeah, a, a friend of mine, of mine, she was uh, distraught because her her son was in son was in full, and they were threatening to kick him out because of behavioral issues. Issues. I think he was like six or seven, and and she was trying everything, everything, and then ultimately they found out that uh, he had he had eaten in his diet. And when they removed it, that behavioral issue went away. And so from your side, if, if you're running across, running across alternative therapies as well to compare versus the uh, clinical side. side. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a great example. Um, I mean, even like sugar, sugar diets, like, like it's just, there's a mountain of information about what we should be humans, you know, if we want to have good good bodies and healthy brains. Brains, so. Yes. So, when did you first get the idea that you wanted to, you wanted to write a book? Was it this were people telling you, you know, you should write, you should write? So, how did it come about, and what was that experience like? Yeah, yeah. So, I guess a stage. Even though I'd always, always in my mind, like, oh, I would love to tell my story because, like, I made it out, made it out, I made it out, you know, I'm stable, I don't, I don't, I'm not riddled with a lot of, of challenges as an adult, and I feel, and I feel like my story is worthy of sharing, sharing, but I always struggle with it, right? So one of the challenges with, challenges with putting your mother first and, and having your own feelings put on the shelf is you don't think that you're worthy or that you're good enough or that you have have what it takes to so that warmer warmer I received to my TED talk really gave me the the, the uh, confidence that to share could help someone someone to just help like one or two people lighten their load or make them make them more educated in things that they could do I said I'm gonna do it um, I have the confidence I'm gonna do it and uh, uh, and I, that was pretty. And I just started down the writing. The writing's not have 
I had never written anything in my life except for like a couple of, pa- couple of papers for school. I got a writing coach who guided me. It was a four-year writing journey that proved to be very cathartic, but also, um, you know, really my story. And I felt, I felt really good about um, being able to, able to share that with everyone. Yeah, that's awesome. And during that four years that you mentioned that, what made you keep going? I'm sure at year three, you're like, is it like, is it really worth it? Maybe down. Yeah. Oh, if you only knew. (laughs) (laughs) Saturdays when I was sitting in my, in my my dining room, bawling my eyes out because my writing coach was like, that's a great example of what you want to, you want to, you really got to get into the moment. You got to remember what the room smelt like, like feeling. And I was like, oh my goodness. So that, like, reliving, living those moments that I could articulate, articulate it in the book was, was like, painful but, but cathartic. And I did have times when I was totally stopped. I was like, I'm not doing I'm not doing this. Just, But then I got really connected to the fact that I wanted to use it as a vehicle to make a difference with the stigma. You know, that was what was, it was what was, it wasn't like, oh, Michelle, you know, has this book and good for you. It was, it was, oh, that's my vehicle to get me in front of audiences to talk to people and shift how we deal with mental health. Me going. Let me ask you that two-part question of that is uh, crying versus laughing. They both seem, both seem to be very therapeutic and just reliving that. Uh, you had the opportunity to, like you mentioned, get out, get out, move through that process. Uh, would you encourage other people? Because it's, you know, there's when you peel back the onion with a lot of people, well, they're holding on to something maybe from childhood or teenage years, and they're 50, 60, 70 years old. Uh, what would you say to the, say to their, your experience with the crying and laughing and, and moving through this episode? Totally worth it. As much as people, as people. Push down, like push down the, the emotions, like forget about, get about what happened, pretend like they can step over those those that shaped them. They're still being impacted by them, no matter what they say. I mean, I've, I've, I've a couple of dear friends, they're fine, but they went through hell as young people, and they never worked through it, through it. So it's definitely impacting them because it was impacting, impacting. And then I had a dear friend of mine tell me to go and do this program, this program called the Landmark Forum, like a three-day program. And and then I started to peel back the onion and really get like, like, why am I angry and resentful at my mother? My mother, the best job that she could, right? Like, had compassion for someone who was trying to raise a family and and mental health, like, and then recognize the story story that I made up in my head is, uh, you know, she's the, she's the sabotage my entire life by manipulating me as a child. Well, that's a story that I completely made up. And so the to self-discovery and really understanding the, the experience for what it was, finding, finding, finding and forgiveness and really setting my, setting myself free, the that I was carrying has gave me the ability to write a write a book that I would have written written even like three years started because I was angry angry so you know if you harbor those painful experiences I say this to people all the people all the time my we talk about we talk about mental health and bipolar but my story my story is no your story we all have something in our past that shaped us we all have had ex- addicts that have 
you know, maybe impacted us in a negative, in a negative way, but my story of perseverance and triumph, triumph, you can work through that, and what's on the other side is totally so uh, you, you kind of opened the can of worms a little bit. So as so a credibility standpoint, we have some people that were uh, uh, clinicians or doctors, and that, and that was their life. They had some experience, and then they became like very spiritual. spiritual uh, they lost their original community. And up to this point, or up until your last response, it was kind of linear as far as as far as hey, I work with a company and this has been my been my. But then you mentioned the landmark forum. So how would you do credential um, that because it's seen as a it's not a mainstream mainstream. It's my understanding that that Tony Robbins and TR both got their start at Landmark. Yeah. Um, what has been your experience, experience legitimize both being in your? It's kind of like you're living in two worlds. Worlds you have your your job, and most people in your day job, your day job gig with the landmark forum. Well, actually, that's that's not entirely entirely true. I know J and J that have done the landmark landmark forum. They're oh, not. Good. Yeah, they good. they have. I mean, I did it at the recommendation of a friend of mine, a mentor, uh, who she saw me suffering in my ring in my own stuff. You got to get that out of your way, so you so you move in the direction of your dreams. So, like, I did that, and I did Tony, I did Tony Robbins. I mean, I took December from Date with Destiny with Tony with Tony, because I'm on this constant evolution to just be a better be a better version of me. Do that is to really continue to undo to un who you are and why you are the way you are, and then create a a a, a better direction for. Her. So, I I is separate because I think the the better you become as an individual, individual, the bigger contribution in your personal and your private life. life. Or your personal and your professional life. So I, I just, I just, I think it's, um, I think it's a, a misunderstanding that, that I don't see landmark as spiritual, by the way, at all. I see it as uh, an evolution, evolution, understanding who you are and why you are the way you are. Um, um, so that's just, that's just my perspective. No, that's great, and that's and that's where the, to speak on that, Matt. Um, there's just some stakes. Some stakes. Wanted you to clear the air for that. Yeah, sure, sure. I mean, as with everything, you know, saying you know, people, it's hard life for three days. It's not comfortable. Comfortable with the landmark forum has you do. So, it's definitely a, a, a space for for fully committed to to building the best the best lives that they want, um, and and freeing themselves of like of like any past since that still riddle them and compromise their their joy in any way. So when you oh, oh uh, two seconds. So with that with that three days, uh, you were at a point where somebody point where somebody just need to do this this. Do you think uh, when we hold things back that that we fill our lives with other distractions, TVs, movies, whatever, so we don't so we don't have to. That and then you're you're saying that you that need to spend time with yourself, and that's how you can start unravel uh, or uh, or peeling back the. Yeah, I mean, because we go through life and we life and we get triggered. So the things that I've learned through all the years I've been with Landmark and Tony Robbins is life is going to come at you, right? Things are people are going to treat you a certain way, a certain way. It has to do with how they treat you. It has you. It has to do with what it triggers within you and why. So at the time, I had a boss, a boss who was very much like my mother, and I didn't, and I didn't. 
But because of that, because of that, the way she was treated, it invoked all of these all of these feelings that I had from my mother. It had nothing to do with her. Had I reacted toward her in a way in a way I wanted to because it was natural and comfortable for me, it probably wouldn't have been the best been the best thing. The whole idea of looking at your looking at your who you are is to help you understand why you're triggered, when you're triggered, and and get that you can you can you can that in a different way once you see ah I'm feeling this because it's because it's familiar because that's what I know but because that's my emotion my emotion and I don't have to I, I can choose to not feel not feel this way. It's very empowering to under, understand how. You know, that's just one example of, you know, how you get triggered, triggered, because people are going to come, you know, throughout your life that you have no control over. Now, now, now I actually learned uh, um, when you focus on it's universal, but I, I learned it through uh, T. Uh, and I know he was a protege of Tony Robbins. And so the other side of that, side of that is mirrors, social aspect, and that uh, uh, connected, you have mirrors basically bringing out what you're what you're going through. So if if you if you didn't have those experiences, then you would never learn more about yourself, right? That's the whole path is learning is learning more about ourselves. So that was the beginning, and so now you've done date with destiny, you've done this work, this work. Or are you seeing different mirrors being reflected in your life now? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, absolutely still happens every day. <laughs> absolutely. And it's just like you start to learn what they are. Are to It's like a muscle, right? Muscle, the more you flex it, the stronger you're able to deal with it. So, yeah, yeah foolish to think that I figured it all out and I'm fine. I'm constantly looking in the mirror and saying, you know, oh, that's why that, that's why that, I didn't get it the first time. Got to get it this time. So. Yeah, I think that's the part where they say that say that the universe or the creator is a comedian <laughs> because when we think we have, think we have something to figure it out, it's like let me give it to you, give it to you in this package and see. <laughs> it's so true. I mean, the other day they said, "All right, for, all right, for, you're going to get gently tapped for you to get the message, get the message, and if you don't get that message, Rick is going to hit you over the head, <laughs> and if that message doesn't resonate, then there's going to be a truck that shows up, and shows up at you." <laughs> <laughs> Okay, got it. I have to, I have to pay attention. <laughs> is that another universal version of tough love? <laughs> yeah, like, Michelle, Michelle, get it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing a little too hard because we all experience it, so you have to laugh at some point. <laughs> Funny. Yes. Uh, so what? So what? So what's next? Uh, you're, you've had some beginnings with uh, with uh, the uh, J and J TEDx stage, and then that led you to writing the book. The book, and you're going to to uh, do it. You got to make a movie. Make a movie out of the book with Michelle. Oh my god! Oh my god! I would love to see the movie. Oh, first of all, like hands down, hands down, to see the book become a movie because if it did, then it could hit more people, more people, and uh, it it would just. Uh, uh, hit more people, and people would understand mental health in a different way. So that so that would be a dream. Um, not sure how sure how, but I'm keeping it in the back of my mind. Uh, immediately, what I'd love to do is just more more speaking to groups, um, more conversations with patients with young people, high school kids, school kids, junior high kids. Um, you know, women's women's group, small group, community groups. I would love that just to. Uh, uh, 
to really just conversation and have, you know, everyone everyone relate to this in a different way and and reach out for resources so that they're not alone and they and they are tools like 18% with their loved ones um, if they're not ready to to talk about it. So so yeah, just you know, just trying just trying, you know, that's what makes my heart sing. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, one thing, since you're speaking to the youth and speakers, it made me reflect back to uh, being an athlete and as an as an athlete in school, Dildo ran high. Since you're in Jersey, um, we had access to this to uh, you know good and bad, bad. And mm-hmm. so you're introduced to binging, binging. And so they're binging with you know alcohol. They're 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 getting introduced to. And as every generation says this, says this the generation before. I don't know what those kids are doing today, right? So would would some of those be of uh, mental health issues, issues, binging behavior? Yeah, I mean, I would think so. I so I think um, the capitate to what to whatever uh, is going to help them feel numb, numb, feel feel less of what they're what they're dealing with. Um, um, so yeah, some of the things that I love that I love to do when I talk to the talk about having each other's back and really and really for each other. So if you see if you see a friend who's like right or who's doing what you just said, like binging on the weekends or whatever, or like. They have they have each other's back, and they talk openly, and they connect them to to they could talk to if they were interested. Um, but that they're a community, and that they should, I mean, care for each other and, and watch and watch other. So you know, I think if they if they did that, if they did that more, you would have less suicide. And it's it's really, it's really how high teen suicide is now. Um, we got to do better do better around that. Why do you think? I guess that's the quagmire today. I mean. Why is it higher? Higher with the most information at our at our fingertips than ever before. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't. We're connected, but yet we're so disconnected. I think you know. I mean, I mean, you know, growing my generation, probably years, probably years, like there was more face to face interaction. Now people just like you, like you hide behind your your tie, so you're you're really disconnected as much as you think you're connected uh, in people's eyes anymore. You're not more. You're not talking to them. Conversation. So. And then there's this, you know, this illusion that, you know, so-and-so has a perfect life on social media when really, like, you have no clue because it's, because it's curated representation of their life and you're measuring, you're measuring yourself up against them. It's really, you know, it's not a good recipe um, for, self, for self. I think that's, that's the heart of it, right? Like, with filters and stuff, people appear different than they are in reality. So I think um, good old-fashioned communication and face dialogue is something that you know we need to make sure is still is still happening. Right. Yeah. I don't. I mean, we are at the. We are at the. But I, I did have. David, do you have any other questions? Uh, I would. <laughs> yeah, we did. We did. Okay. So I, I did have one last question because we're talking because we're talking about the kids and I didn't want these young whippersnappers. But but speaking with someone in the, in the corporate eye and you just talked about the different the difference with uh, not having that human ele- human element. I'd like for you to talk a little bit about the import importance of eye of eye contact in community because that is something that is that is lack with this newer younger generation. Oh my goodness, it's so important. It's I mean. I know for me, for me, I work on a virtual team, and I and then what that means is I work from home, so I can interact with people all the time on the phone, and it's super easy, super easy to really see anyone. You can just like you know go on, go on you know teleconference, 
you know, and just be comfortable in your pajamas, your pajamas if you really wanted to, but it takes away something as well. So we also have something called Skype, I'm sure you've heard of, where we, have, where we can get into these conference calls and see each other. And I'm telling you, just the connection eye to eye to see people's demeanors, nerves, reactions, and their smiles create such a different, different vibe and sensation with one another. So I know I what you say because we we connect as human be human beings so much than than uh, virtually. So you know I can't now I can't I totally agree with you. So, so yeah, they, they, we won't be overrun by the robots. <laughs> good old good old and a smile a smile can say so much. So you know. Wholeheartedly agree. So. Where where could they find that book in your website and your social and your social so they can stay in touch with you, Michelle? Awesome. So yeah, so I have a web I have a website. You could go teeingintomylife dot com. Like you mentioned, um, you can you can get a free X free X book. Um, and I have a blog where I have where I have tools and resources around um, you know different 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 tools. You can learn more about eighteen percent there. You can learn about. Um, open minds. I'm sorry, active. Sorry, active, which is all about bringing uh, clubs to schools, high schools, and colleges uh, for youth. Youth. There's all kinds of resources, versus for caregivers there. And then you can find my book at book at BarnesandNoble.com, Amazon.com, in both uh, uh, and hard copy. Fantastic. Well, you have just been in tune, been in tune to another episode, of motivation from a homie's perspective. Perspective. And I am David. Michelle, it was definitely a, ple- definitely a pleasure. Let's stay in touch. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Thank you.